All right, what an amazing song, amen? Uh, you know, Wednesday morning we were learning about the w- being aware, living in presence of God's presence. And so being aware of that is a tremendous thing that helps us to be encouraged in life. Welcome this morning. Uh, so uh, I feel like I can individually preach to you guys this morning. So, so wonderful. Maybe we're going to have some one-on-one time, but I am so thankful you guys are here this morning and that uh, you chose to come and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Isaiah 54. And Isaiah 54 uh, is, um, I think, some things that we need to remind ourselves uh, as the church. You know, I used to think when I first started preaching that every time I preached, I was just unfolding these great mysteries of Scripture and everybody was learning everything that they needed to know and all these great truths were being discovered. And then before long, I found out that, hey, you know what? Believers know a lot. (laughs) And and really what uh, maybe preaching is all about is certainly to impart truth, certainly to make us wise, to call us to relation with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also about reminding each other and stirring up things in us that will make us more devoted, more committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that discovery, I was a little bit deflated, but I understand that's so important uh, to be able to do that as well. And so we want to do that this morning. I want to invite you to pray with me, if you would, this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here today, to be able to assemble together in your house seeking you and in unity and oneness of mind, Lord, we, we call on you. We seek you this morning, Father, to be challenged and encouraged to have those things in us that are devoted to you to be stirred up again, Lord, to uh, be reminded of all those things that are foundational and important to our relationship with you and our function in this world. Uh, Lord, we thank you that through your Holy Spirit that you can fan those flames that you can cause that fire that's in us to burn even brighter. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that you would visit us with that intention to set our hearts on fire. And, Lord, I want to thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, in these few verses that are surrounding uh, Isaiah 54, as a matter of fact, beginning chapter 52, uh, on through uh, about... um, chapter 55, it's kind of a focus on the servant of God. Uh, the, the servant in the person of Jesus Christ, but also the servant that God calls and saves. And so when you think about that, that one of the great things that we need as servants of the Lord is to, is to be challenged and to be, uh, to, to be, I don't know, passionate about what we're doing. To be motivated to do the things that God has called us to do. Now, now certainly, you know, we're reminded of chapter 53. It's that great passage that Isaiah records about the suffering of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, look at it with me if you would. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before us as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when uh, we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hide, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has bore our griefs 
and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. By his stripes we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, is a, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened his mouth uh, not. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before his shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? And he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of many people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death because he did, had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When you make, when he made, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge, by righteousness, by righteous servants shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and, men, and made intercession for the transgressors. You know, Isaiah, when Isaiah wrote this, Isaiah was seeing the suffering of Jesus Christ so vivid as if Isaiah was an eyewitness and not a prophet. Isaiah saw the suffering of Christ as if he was standing before the foot of the cross but what he was talking about would happen 700 years later, seven generations later. But yet Isaiah saw it so real, so true. You know, I think God has caused you and I today to see that suffering of Christ just as vivid. Today, after the fact, uh, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. H.H. H. Hawley wrote in his Bible handbook, he said this, Isaiah is so clear in his mind that he speaks of it in the past tense as if it had already come to pass yet it was written seven centuries before Calvary it cannot possibly fit any person in history other than Christ it has to be him right it, it, it has to be that testimony about him that, that giving of his life Suffering that he went through. All that he bore on himself. That substitutionary death that Jesus died for us on the cross. And now here we stand 2,000 years later being moved by the same passage that Isaiah saw 700 years before it happened. You see, Jesus Christ and what he did for us is a reminder from God and to God's servants by virtue of his suffering, of why and how we as a church ought to respond to him. 
You see, for Isaiah and his generation, it was seeing that coming suffering of the Messiah, that, that he, he called his nation to respond to God based on the fact that he would come, that he would suffer, that he would die. But yet here you and I are, you and I are beneficiaries of what Christ has already done. How much more should we be moved, right, to be the church? How much more should, should, should we be compelled in our love for Him and our gratitude of what He's done for us to, to be followers of His? Well, in Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 3, that's where I want to spend the time this morning, with some things about what we ought to be doing as a church. Listen to what Isaiah says. Sing, O barren, you also have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. What's Isaiah saying? I think he's given a challenge to, to the nation of Israel, but also I think it, it's, it's foundational for the church today. Listen, I don't believe that the church is Israel. Uh, I, I believe that God has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for His church. But let me tell you, the principles that God motivated Israel and the things that He's call, called them to do that He's entrusted with us doing in our generation. That we need to be getting out that word, that message of Jesus Christ. Now some of those things that we need to realize, first of all, it's all it always comes down to this. It always does in our life. It, it, it comes down to where our focus is, doesn't it? I mean, anytime we're productive or not productive, you can always go and look back on what you and I or what anyone sees as the most important thing. It always comes down to that. We spend or we invest or we give to what we feel like is the most important. That's just the way we are. You, you know, the tragedy of it is, is that most of us can't do but a few things at once or... Like me, one thing at a time. And so because of that, I had to stay focused. And if I lose my focus or if my focus goes somewhere else, then all of a sudden I'm not effective in what I need to be doing. It doesn't take very much for my mind to roam or for me to look around. Uh, and, and I really need to stay focused. And so the church, is, it's important that the church stays focused. The focus of the church is critical in, in our service uh, for the king. We, we need to be looking where we're going. Focusing on the right thing. Now listen, he says, he gives some things. And I, I'm glad there's several things that we can focus on as a church and as believers. One of those things is, is that he talks about rejoicing. He says, sing, O barren. And he says, break forth in singing and and, and cry aloud. We, we can focus on rejoicing, right? On, on worship and on you know, being excited about the Lord. Uh, and those kind of things. It's important that we do that. Uh, because we, we find comfort in that as a church. Now, listen. 
He talks about rejoicing. Why rejoice about... Look, he, he, ta- he puts it in context. Sing, O barren, you have not, bor- uh, you, you have not born. He says, um, uh, you have not labored with child. You see, all those things are an indication of, 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 of living in reproach. For someone to be childless in the Old Testament was not a good thing. Uh, you know, we see the plight of Hannah, right? And, and how Hannah went to the Lord and she cried out to the Lord, you know, Lord, give me a child, give me a child. And, and so here Isaiah is saying, why, how can, why should we be joyous in a time of reproach? Let me tell you why. Because Jesus Christ has taken away our reproach. Because in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. That we're, we're not a reproach to God anymore. That, that we don't have to live that way anymore because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time that we gather here as a group, as, as a corporate church, we ought to realize why we're gathering here. Because we're not a reproach anymore. Because our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus Christ took the penalty of those sins on the cross. Because what Isaiah said in 53 is our story. So we ought to be rejoicing. We ought to be rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our reproach has been taken away. We ought to sing. We ought to praise. We ought to shout. We ought to give glory to God. Because our reproach has been taken away. And so there's that focus, right? On joy in the Lord. And rejoicing in the Lord. Paul says rejoice. And again I say rejoice. If it weren't enough once. Paul says do it twice. You know and keep on doing it. It's what Paul was saying. Live a life of rejoicing. Because your sins are forgiven. Another thing that he calls our focus on as well. Is uh, he does. He says you have not born. You, you have not labored with child. In other words, what's he focusing on? He's focusing on reproducing, isn't he? On, on others being born, in a sense. He's focused on what the church needs to do in that great pursuit of seeing people come to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's a believer's call, isn't it? You know, all throughout the Bible, the, the uh, message of witnessing and evangelism and reaching people is threaded throughout the Scripture. And certainly not only in the Old Testament, but, but absolutely in the New Testament, Jesus left the church with that challenge. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Didn't he? Mark closed that gospel with the idea of go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. In the book of Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church... Is, is the foundation is laid for the work of the church when Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? I mean, why? Because our sins are forgiven. I love what Paul says in Romans 10. When he says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Right? So, oh, that means we have to have a preacher, right? <laughs> no. The word means proclamation. 
someone to proclaim the message. You see? And so all through the Bible is this focus on reaching people. Seeing the church added to because the gospel of Jesus Christ is being shared. Look, if there's any New Year's resolution, if it's not too late to make one, it ought to be that, God, I want to commit myself this year to be someone who reaches out to people with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's that, right? And then if you look on a little bit deeper into the passage of Scripture, he goes on to say, then he says, uh, uh, he says, more... For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. You know, uh, I think what Isaiah is calling us to today is to not only focus on the reality of it, right? People need Jesus. People need the Lord. He says, for, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. The married woman is who? It's Israel. In the New Testament, it's the church. We're the bride of Christ. And what Isaiah is saying, there's more lost people than there are saved people. There's more to reach than have been reached. Jesus says, lift up your eyes into the field, for the, har- the, for the fields are white and the harvest is ready. I, I, I mean, li- there's so many people, our own state convention tells us in the state of Tennessee, there's 7 million people in the state, well, 6.94 by now, probably 7 million. Seven million people that live in the, the state of Tennessee, and it's estimated that only four million, that four million in the state of Tennessee are, are lost and unchurched. Over half. So everybody that you see tomorrow, over half of those are lost without Jesus Christ. And that's the reality. People need the Lord. Well, you know, we can look at that in a couple of ways and think, wow, it's just overwhelming. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle that situation? How can things turn around? How can it change? Woe is me. I can't do this. And on and on. You know, we're real creative when it comes to excuses. And and we can really come up with some nice ones. But the reality, you know, what if we looked at this thing in a different way? What if we looked at, at our world today and, man, there's so many people out there that are lost. How can I go wrong? Right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'd rather shoot at a barn than a can. You know, because the barn's a whole lot easier to hit. So what if we looked at this thing? Wow, there's just this target-rich environment. That people are out there everywhere, and I'm working with them every day, and I'm seeing them every day, and I'm crossing their paths, and we're having interaction with each other every day. And, and more than half of them, let's say, do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, the wonderful news about that is that, that God is dealing with people that are lost and separated from Him. And we don't know when that person's going to step into our office or across our path or in our way that God is tremendously dealing with Him about salvation and how close God has them to that unless we, unless we witness to them, Right? Um, I, I remember the day when we used to be able to go out and just randomly go and knock on people's door and, you know, say, hey, how are you doing? I'm from Garrison Baptist Church, and I just want to talk to you about your spiritual condition and 
do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And, and you know, do you, do you want to trust Him? As your, you know, and it was great. It was great. But you know what I found out? The church didn't take much advantage of that generation. And, but I remember knocking on the door one time. A young couple lived there. And I knew a little bit about them. And went in, knocked on the door, and just shared with them and said, Hey, you know, we'd love for you to come to church. And, you know, I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, I know you're recently married. Congratulations, all those kind of things. And, and, and so then toward the end of the conversation, I said, Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? And I said, Oh, no, no, no. And so I asked the young man. I said, um, I said, If you died today, where would you spend eternity? heaven or hell and he said well if I died today I'd spend eternity in hell I mean I know that he said I've, I've been wanting to be saved uh, and he said I just didn't know how to be saved but I really want to be saved <laughs> so I said well, why don't we just take care of that right now <laughs> you know God had so worked in this young man's heart that he was ready. That, that it, it just took a question to turn that conversation to a place where he had enough confidence to trust Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. How many of the four million across the state of Tennessee are like that right now? God's been knocking. God's been convicting. God's been uprooting their life. God's caused them great harm or not harm but great struggle and trial and then that struggle and trial they come to understand that boy I need somebody bigger than me how many people are ready and the only reason that we don't know that they're ready is because we don't ask if they're ready and so there's this thing about reality isn't there people need the Lord people need the Lord so there's the focus of the church. But, but also look at verse 2. He talks about function as well. We've we got to get our, keep our eyes on the prize, but then we've got to do what we need to do to, to uh, work toward that. And he talks about function a little bit. Verse 2, he talks about, he used, <laughs> I, I love this, it's a, it's a tent. You know, how many of you guys enjoy putting up a tent? It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? You know, all those poles and stakes and right shape and all that kind of thing and and I don't know if I've ever successfully in my entire life put up a tent uh, but I put it up enough to be able to spend the night <laughs> so we, we can do that but but listen God knows how to put the tent together uh, and, and one of the things that Isaiah challenged him to do is, is, is enlarge enlarge the place of your tent in other words it's an idea of grow isn't it Get, get, getting larger is, is growing. And, and, and growing is changing. And growing is necessary. You see, the church is, a, is an organism, not an organization. And, and organisms grow. Right? They either grow or they die. And so what Isaiah is saying, he's challenging uh, people to, to grow. Enlarge the place of your tent. Grow your influence as a believer. That's what we need to do, isn't it? How do, how do we grow that? In? If, we're on a, if we're in the marketplace or on our jobs, how do we grow our influence? Let me tell you, by walking in integrity. If you on your job place will walk in, in, in integrity, if you'll walk in the Lord, that you, you will you'll have influence at your workplace. 
People will know you're a believer. People will know by, by the way that you, by the, by the words you don't say, sometimes reveal more about the words that you do say. I, I, I mean, how many, it's pretty hard some workplaces to have a conversation that's not hurtful. <laughs> but if, if you don't participate in that, then your, your influence, your integrity, your righteousness, shines like a light. And so now all of a sudden you're influencing your work. Like do the right thing, right? And the right thing is what Jesus says is the right thing. And when we do the right thing that Jesus says, then we influence the place that we're at. And then all of a sudden our influence is growing and, and our integrity is growing. And then our, our possibility and our opportunities are growing as well to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, doesn't it make sense that somebody who wants to change their life comes, about, comes to somebody whose life's different than theirs? And so there's that enlarging. There's that also, verse 2, the engaging that we need to do. Uh, he says, do not spare. In other words, the idea is go, go for it. <laughs> I mean, give it your all. Get, get, get into it. Engage. Uh, sometimes as believers, we, we have this separation mentality, don't we? Now, don't get me wrong. We're supposed to be separate from the world. Our citizenship's in heaven. But not to separate ourselves from the world. Isn't it real easy as believers that, uh, you know, hey, I'm not going to go to a certain place because, you know, it's just ungodly. Not, not that you should go to ungodly places. <laughs> but sometimes we don't put ourselves out there. Because the, the circumstances are so foreign to us, right? I mean, we don't go. Jesus, what did he do? I mean, listen, he engaged his world, didn't he? He, he stepped out to meet people and, and talk to people and minister to people that, that he had never ministered before. Take a chance on standing and going for Jesus Christ. Get outside. You know, we need to get outside of our church, right? I mean, isn't that where, you know, ministry happens a lot of times? I know it happens in the church. But also it happens outside the church as well. You know, I'm so excited about our association for the first time in a long time. I really feel like we're doing something significant for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm so excited about participating in what we do. Because it gets us outside. You know, look, the association doesn't have any inside. It's not a church. It's a thing, I guess. I don't know what it is. And so to participate together with other churches in ministry gets us outside the norm. And so that's good. So we need to engage. And then verse 2, also at the end, look, it says, Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Why do we need to do that? Why do you do that for a tent? Because you're putting up a bigger tent. Right? You, you've got to have longer cords because you've got a bigger tent. You've got to have longer stakes to drive them deeper in the ground because they're pulling, holding more weight. And so the idea here is that we have to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about that very thing. About the, one of the purposes of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, if we're going to have a big tent, we've got to have strong arms. We've got to have strong backs, spiritually speaking. 
We've got to have people who are deep in their foundation, their relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you're not, you can't hold up to what God wants to build and do. So it's important that we have those things going on in our church to be able to strengthen uh, our guys. And so, so it's important functions of the church. But verse 3, he goes on and he talks about the future of things. Uh, and uh, I, I love this. For, uh, verse 3, he says, uh, For you shall expand to the right and to the left. Right? You know what that is? That's balance, isn't it? It's healthy, to become healthy. That's what we want our church to be, is a healthy church. Yeah, a church that, that, that has, that, that's, that's balanced on the authority of the Word of God. That sees the Bible for what it is, the inerrant, the infallible Word of God. And we build on that foundation with great balance. Right? And, 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 and we become healthy because of that. Strong and vital. And all those things are so important. You see, if we lean one way or the other, then, then our tent's going to fall, isn't it? You lean to, in other words, if you pull on those cords too much in one direction, then you'll, you'll pull that tent over, right? So we need to be healthy uh, in those things. And then verse 3 goes on and he says, And your descendants will inherit the nations. We're to leave a heritage, aren't we, as a church? What are we leaving as Garrison Baptist Church for those who are going to come in front, uh, in, that we're going to be behind or going to come in front of us? I, I, want, I want to assure you that, that some of you guys, that few of you guys are here, I'm looking around, remember the heritage from generations ago that were laid by those that were members of Garrison Baptist Church. Some of them are your family members, and you remember their joy and their dedication and their commitment to the Lord and their sacrificial service and giving also so that we could be here today. You see, we didn't get here today by accident, but we got here today because some have gone before us. We need to honor that heritage that we have. Garrison's always had a strong foundation in, in the Word. You'll never hear a testimony about Garrison Baptist Church no matter when. That, oh, they, they weren't right in what they believed or they were a little off in how they worshipped or they were a little this or a little bit. That's always been a heritage of, of, of being healthy and, and right in, in how they saw God and how they served God. And we don't want to let that go. As a matter of fact, we want to move it forward and train up our young people and encourage them. And so if you have a part here at church in some way in, in training our young or our seniors as far as that goes, then you're, you're helping lay that foundation that's going to be there for the future generation to come. And that heritage of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then also the last thing in verse 3 that he says, he said, and make the desolate cities inhabited. I like that, don't you? What was he talking about? The desolate, the lost. In other words, see Jesus in the homes of our community. Right? To be in the homes that Jesus cried, that we affect families and lives and generations of people. And, and, and so now all of a sudden, those you see a desolate home is a home without Jesus Christ. Isn't it? It's empty. It doesn't have life. 
it certainly doesn't have a future. And, and in all likelihood, it needs a great healing. But once Jesus comes into the house, things begin to change, right? I mean, when Jesus is in the house, incredible things happen. Uh, one of my favorite things in all the Bibles in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus goes into this house and he's teaching and he's preaching and all these people are gathered around and there's so many that they have to stand outside and, and no one can get in the house and, and, and all of a sudden this guy comes and his friends are carrying him and he's paralyzed and he's on a, on a pallet and they're, they're carrying him and they can't get into where Jesus is because this house is so full. And you know what they do? They rip off the roof. They let him down on some ropes. See, I'd love to see that happen here at Garrison Baptist Church. And it's time to pull things back and let Jesus fill this place. Let him fill our homes with his presence. And all those are things that what are based on the fact that our sins are forgiven. In Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That's why we do what we do. Is because our sins are forgiven. Bow with me. And let's pray this morning. Father in heaven again. We are so thankful. For the love and the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ. That he would bear in his body the pain. That he would bear in his person the penalty for our sins. That he would substitute his lovely, perfect self for lost, desperate sinners. And give us freedom from our reproach. Lord, thank you that that very act of his grace and love motivates us to serve you. To be thankful and respond to you. Because of your great love for us. So Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll stir our hearts with the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ our Savior. And that we'll be your servant in the generation that we live in today. This place, in our community, in our world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stay in this morning.